Mother's Day is the day that I wear a tie. You're welcome. Take a picture. You won't see it till next year. Uh, real quick, uh, my wife asked if I would just uh, plug the women's conference. That's this coming weekend, just FYI. Guys, uh, it's a great opportunity for you to uh, get off work just a little bit early on Friday so you can get home, get the kids fed, take care of the kids, and let your wife go to the women's conference. So uh, it's a great opportunity for them to get together. Uh, so sign up, do it. I think that suffices my wife's uh, request. Um, we're in this uh, series, no, so typically what they'll tell you, and, and I don't know who they is, but the, the, the blogosphere, the, the interwebs, they'll, they'll tell you as a pastor that you really have one of three options uh, on Mother's Day. Uh, you either, um, you preach a message on how uh, great moms are, you preach a message on how you need to be a better mom, or uh, you don't preach about moms at all. So I'm not preaching about moms today. Uh, today's message is not a Mother's Day message. It's really in line with uh, finishing out our sermon series. And primarily, I'm not preaching about moms because I'm not one, and I'm not an expert on it. My wife, however, is an expert on it. Uh, my mom this morning uh, is here, and if it weren't for Mother's Day, probably wouldn't be here, but uh, she was a little, she, she, she's trying to stay a little incognito this morning uh, because she doesn't want anybody to know that she's my mom. Uh, so if you see her, she's the one wearing glasses, trying to hide herself from recognition. So, no, she had uh, surgery on her eyes, and, uh, and so she's super bummed we don't get our picture taken. You guys get your t- picture taken yet? Uh, they'll be available right after service as long as I get done in time. Uh, and, uh, and you can grab it if you haven't had an opportunity to do so. Uh, if, you're, if you kids are here and your mom wants a picture, get your picture taken with them. Don't make me tell you otherwise, all right? Uh, Jacob? All right. So we've been in this series. Uh, this is the last of the series, a four-week series that uh, started after Easter, and it's really under the premise of what, uh, dis- what the disciple Thomas experienced. He, uh, he heard Jesus had risen, uh, but didn't believe. He's like, you know what, I, I want to believe, but there's too many things in my head that's keeping me, too many barriers that are keeping me from believing. And so the theme verse is from John chapter 20, verse 27, where Jesus says to Thomas, as he appears to him, he says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. He says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Uh, the, the reality is that many people have this barrier that they come up against, this idea that says, I want to believe in God, but uh, I keep coming up against this ceiling. I keep hitting this obstacle that, uh, that seems to get in the way. And, and in week one, we talked about on-demand God, that, uh, that we want, I want to believe, but he doesn't do everything that I want him to do when I want him to do it. And we just discovered in week one that on-demand God just simply doesn't exist. Uh, and then in week two, uh, we looked at killjoy God, the God who has all these rules and all these regulations. I want to believe, but God just doesn't want me to have fun. Uh, and we realize that uh, what religion has made complicated, uh, God has made simple through his love. Uh, in week three, we talked about uh, goosebump God, the God. I want to believe in God, but I don't feel him. 
And we recognize that if uh, that's who we think God is, that God is not uh, someone who we have to feel all the time, that that's really uh, not who he is. Today I want to talk about one of maybe what may be the most commonly embraced distorted view of God, because that's what this is, that when people say, I want to believe in God, but it's typically that they don't believe in the true God, they believe in a distorted view of God. And this is, I want to believe in God, uh, what we're calling a heartless God. I want to believe in God, but he doesn't seem to care. Uh, A year ago, I was flying back from Columbia, almost exactly a year ago, I was with our Columbia missions team. They went earlier in the year and uh, I decided instead of missing the Sunday, I was going to come back and be with y'all. And, uh, and so I, I left the team, um, got to the airport, and got the notification uh, that I'm always looking for when I'm getting ready to board a plane, and it just simply popped up and said, you've been upgraded. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And so, so when that happens, I, you know, because I was actually not feeling well, I don't know if I ate something, and uh, and so I was looking forward to just getting on the plane, putting my headphones on, shutting out the world, and, and trying to sleep off whatever it was that I was feeling. And so I'll, I'll board the plane early. I'm not one of those people that wait. I, I board early so that I get there before my seatmate gets there. I can already put my headphones on. I'm not rude or any of those things. So somehow, in a ninja-like manner, she cheated, I'm pretty sure, but my seatmate was already there when I got there. And she just struck up a conversation before I could put my headphones on. And she said, what are you doing in Colombia? And so you have a choice in this situation um, because depending on how long the conversation is going to go on and all of this, I just said simply I was visiting a friend, uh, which was not a lie. Uh, It was true. My friend Juan Allen lives there. He's one of my best friends, actually. And I was visiting him and I was maybe withholding some information, but uh, that's different than lying. Um, at least that's what my kids tell me. So <clears throat> that didn't suffice. That didn't. That wasn't sufficient for her curiosity. And so she said, "Oh, well, what does your friend do?" So I knew that we were going down this road, and I just, uh, I, I finally fessed up. I said, I'm a pastor. Our church has helped plant a church down there. We sponsor kids through Compassion International. We have a team of 20 people that are there, and, uh, and I'm just going home to preach. And really, like, everything kind of glossed over after I said I was a pastor. And so her response, and, and you could tell there was some sort of uh, visibly uh, visible response that she was having. And, and sometimes when people are hurt, uh, they'll have a little bit of an edge to them. They'll kind of respond in a way that's uh, a little aggressive or upset. And this wasn't her. She wasn't that way. Uh, she just was uh, obviously uh, very upset. And you could tell that there was something about what I said that was uh, caused her to uh, respond to me. And so after I got done explaining all that, she said, how can you, and that's never a good uh, beginning to a sentence, but she was really nice about it. She, she said, how can you believe in a God who doesn't seem to care? And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean by, by that? And knowing that this was going to be a long flight, I just settled in and she began. It was almost as if I put the quarter in and and she just responded to that question. And she said, I grew up Catholic, and 
uh, went to church all the time with my family. I, I went to mass. Um, I married a good Catholic man, uh, and we went to mass together. Uh, and then we had two boys. Uh, she said, but one of my boys was born premature. And I thought, well, we have something in common. We could talk a little bit about that because my son, Jacob, was born seven weeks premature. And uh, it's why he is the way, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of fun at our house. Uh, um, no, he was seven weeks premature. He was four, four pounds, four ounces when he was born uh, and was actually the largest baby in the NICU uh, at the time. Uh, but this woman's uh, premature son had some brain damage uh, because of the delivery and because of his uh, premature delivery. And she said, we went to mass, we prayed to God, we, uh, we lit candles, we believed that God was going to heal our son, and he didn't. And because of the, the difficulty of raising now a son with special needs, my husband decided that he couldn't do it anymore. And so he left me and my two boys, and he left me to raise my special needs son alone. And she says, so I'm just wondering, like, how can you serve and lead people towards a God that doesn't seem to care about my son? So how do you answer that? Because here I am, a, a father who, who has amazing kids who I love, amazing, amazing kids who I love, who are healthy, who, who could have had the same experience that she had, and yet, yet we didn't experience that. We, we have kids who actually are healthy and, and, and they're growing. I have a, a spouse that's an amazing mom who's helping raise our children and all of these things, how do I explain to her about a God who actually does love us but doesn't answer her question? Some of you might be going through that and, and asking that same question even now. I'm praying, I'm, I'm trying to believe, but there's all these things happening how can I believe in a God that doesn't seem to care? It can even be as, as simple as you open up your iPhone and I get a, a notification every morning uh, that basically says this is the news that you need to know today. And uh, it lists off another terrorist attack, another school shooting, another racist shooting that is just senseless and all of these things. And you're just wondering how, how can all of this stuff be taking place with a God who loves us? How could somebody do that to another human being? You could look down the, the aisle, the row that you're sitting on, and chances are someone down your row has been abused in some capacity. And if you love that person, you wonder, how can this happen? How is that Fair. It doesn't seem fair. Or maybe it's just something simple. You're praying for God to do something. You know that he can, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't take away the headache uh, that you woke up 
with this morning, or he doesn't answer the prayer for your child, or you're trying to do your best, you're, you're doing good, you're helping people, you're working hard, and everybody, seems, everybody else seems to be getting ahead. No matter how hard you try, it just seems like you can't get any breaks. Whatever it is, you start to ask yourself, God, are you there? Are you good? I, I want to believe in you, but you don't even seem to care. If you've ever felt like that before, if let me just tell you, you are not alone. It's not just you. You may have showed up here this morning feeling that, wondering, God, do you even care about me? And I would just say, you're not alone. Others have had this question. If we look at the characters in the Bible, we see uh, all throughout Scripture these people who we look at and we're like, yeah, but you can't really equate yourself to them. Those guys were like higher than life. I mean, they, you know, whatever. But no, these were actually human beings who had very real emotions, just like you and I. They had these same struggles. You look at David in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, and he's crying out to him saying, God, where are you? Why can't you hear my prayers? Why don't you do something? Why are my enemies constantly trying to attack me? God, are you even listening? If you really want to mess up your mind a little bit, read the book of Job. Here's a guy who's a righteous man. He's doing good things, and all of a sudden, Satan wants to attack him. He take, I mean, it's like the thing of a country western song. He gets his livestock taken away. His career's taken away, his health's taken away, his family's a wreck, he's got boils all of his, over his body, and his dog dies. His dog didn't die, but if it was a country song, he would. <laughs> his wife looks at him, I mean, his, his family just become, his friends turn to jerks, his wife looks at him and says, uh, honey, maybe you should just curse God and die. Thanks, Honey, thanks for that advice. I mean, that's like some marriage therapy needing to go a little bit there. If, if your wife says to you, yeah, things just aren't working around, it might be better off if you just die. That's what Job endured. And he's, he's wondering, where are you, God? This doesn't seem fair. I got him. And to him, that doesn't seem fair. Probably the, the greatest uh, example of this, that maybe the one that uh, is a little bit more personal, is the story of John the Baptist. So if you don't know the story of John the Baptist, here's a guy who is the cousin of Jesus, Right, And he's been given a purpose. He's been, he, he knows what his purpose is. His purpose is to pave the way for Jesus to come. And so he goes around. He's preaching to everybody, telling them Jesus is coming. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to follow him. And people said, well, we'll follow you, John the Baptist. He says, no, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals of Jesus. So you need to follow him and him alone. He's the one. And then John the Baptist gets arrested and thrown into prison for doing the right thing. So if I'm John the Baptist, as I'm sitting in prison, I'm thinking, I'm the cousin of Jesus. I'm serving Jesus. I've seen his power. I've seen him heal the sick. I've, I've, I've seen him turn water. You know, I know he's turned water into wine. He's done all kinds of miracles. He's, done, he's raised people from the dead. 
So I'm fantasizing as I'm sitting in prison thinking Jesus is going to bring 10 angels with him. Swords are going to be thrown around. Lightning's going to strike. Smoke's going to fill the room. And Jesus is going to walk in and say, what's up? Let's go. And he's going to deliver me from prison. But that's not what happens for John, the cousin of Jesus. His cousin, he waits and he waits. And finally, he's like, Jesus, are you there? He even sends somebody out. Uh, because he's like, well, maybe I got this wrong because I'm still in prison. So he sends somebody and says, go ask him if he's the one that they've been waiting for or if there's someone else that's gonna show up with the smoke and the lightning and all that stuff. What happened but nothing? Nothing. If you've ever been at the place where you want to believe but it didn't seem like God cares, you're in good company. All throughout scripture, we see it time and time again. Look around the room. There's people who've had the same question. I want to make two promises with you this morning. Uh, since it's Mother's Day, I, I, I'll be generous too. The first one, it, number one, is I'm not going to be able to answer every question you have from this message. Uh, but my second promise to you is that I promise to point you to the one who one day will do just that. One day he will. I want to show you two big thoughts, and this is in your notes if you're taking notes this morning. Things to embrace, truths to remember when God doesn't seem fair. The first big thought is this, is that God always has a purpose in your pain. God has a purpose. He's good. Even when you're hurting, God is still working. I don't know what it might be. Someone right now might, might have let you down. Maybe you've got people in your life, friends in your life, who have turned their back on you. There may be someone who, who have lost a loved one. For some, on Mother's Day, this is a very difficult time because they don't have a mom. They were abandoned from their mom. They lost their mom. I have a whole family in our church who just recently, this is their first Mother's Day without their mom. And so it's hard. You, you, you've lost someone important to you. You... It could be that there's someone that lied to you, took advantage of you, gossiped about you. It might be that life's just not going the way that you wanted it to go. It could be something as big. We have people in our church who are suffering from cancer. It might be something as inconvenient. It may be as big as cancer, but as inconvenient as a sore throat when you gotta give a presentation at work. It could be that you're praying for someone that you love that's in hospice care right now, it might be a number of different things. But whenever you're hurting, whatever level of hurting there is, however personal it feels, we have to remember that God has a purpose. He's using whatever difficult times that we're going through to do something in us. I love the way Peter, who went through a lot of difficult times, described it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says this about suffering and trials. He says, there is a wonderful joy that's ahead. That when you're suffering, re remember that there's a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials, these things that you don't understand, these difficult seasons, they will show that your faith is genuine, that God's God is taking you deeper. He's planting your roots even deeper. 
He says, it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is pure and far more precious than gold. When your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, God has a purpose. God's doing something. He's doing something in the, in the middle of it, even though we don't understand it. He's, he's using it to strengthen us. When, when we run towards him, our spiritual roots go, grow even deeper. Now you say, well, but does he cause the pain? I'm not saying God causes the pain. What I am saying is God uses the pain every single time. He has a purpose in the pain. And the second thing that I hope you'll remember this morning is that God is always present in your pain. He has a purpose and he's present when you're hurting. In fact, Psalm 46 verse 1 says that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. He is with you. If you came this morning wondering if God is present in your life, he is with you. He is he is with you. So often we want to give, we want God to give us what we want. God, give me what I want. God, God wants to show us that what we need is him. God, I want you to do this. And God says, I am the source of that which you need. There's no better example uh, than this in all of Scripture, than the Apostle Paul. If you, if you don't know a lot about Paul, maybe you're visiting this morning. And uh, see, Paul hated Christians. Maybe you're visiting, maybe somebody drug you to church today and you hate Christians. And if you do, you'll like Paul because Paul hated Christians more than you. Paul killed Christians, a lot of them. And, and, and then he had this radical transformation that took place in his life. And the guy who used to kill Christians did more for the gospel than uh, since Jesus. Like, like from the time of Jesus on, he did more for the gospel that way. So he wrote half the New Testament. Uh, he planted a bunch of churches. He preached the gospel everywhere he went. And here you have a guy who later on in Scripture, we, we hear him crying out to God saying there's this thing that he calls a thorn, this thorn in my flesh. We don't know what the thorn is, but, but we know that whatever it was, was painful. And we don't know if it was spiritually painful, physically painful, emotionally painful. We don't, we don't know. But it was painful, and he wanted it gone from his life. And so here you have a guy who's crying out to God, crying out to him, pleading with God three different times. And you know that if God's going to heal anybody, if he's... If he's going to take the time to heal someone, he's going to heal the guy who was shipwrecked, who was snake bitten, who was left for dead, who was whipped so many times that he had scars all over his back. He did all of this, was in prison, all in the name of Jesus. Like, that's somebody who probably deserves a little healing, don't you think? He deserves to have whatever this thing is taken away from him. And Paul says, heal me, heal me, heal me. And God says to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, in weakness. Heal me, God, change my circumstances, fix my problems, 
reveal my pain, God says, no, grace is enough. God, this is what I need. And God says, no, I'm what you need in your life. And this is something that you can't really explain to anyone. You really have to experience it. And yet here I am trying to explain it to you. The, the reality is, is, is you know it when you've been through it, when you've experienced it. This is how God helped me through. You, you can't put words on it, yet when you've been there and you've experienced his presence, when he's carried you through, when you couldn't make it on your own. We have a, a family in our church whose uh, daughter has been uh, was diagnosed with leukemia, has come through all of that and is healthy now. But in the midst of that, how do you deal with that as a parent, as a mom, when your child's going through chemotherapy, but by the grace of God? It's the thing that sustains you when you're aching in pain, when it's the thing that comforts you when you don't want to get up another day. It's that moment when God gives you the hope to move forward when you didn't know if you could go on. See, you can testify that there are times when there is enough. There are times when his grace is enough. And it's the only thing that will get you through. Paul went on to say that this is actually a good thing. Here's what he said. He says in verse 9 and 10, Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why. It's, it's for Christ's sake. And then he talks crazy talk. He, right? he says, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, his strength is made perfect in me. When I can't get, when I can't get on another day, he's there to carry me. He's always present in our pain. So some of us will embrace that. We might say, well, uh, I'll delight in my migraines because they've drawn me closer to Christ. I'll, I'll delight in this lonely season of my life because I've experienced for the first time what Emmanuel, God with me, really is about. I'll, I'll delight in difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. The bottom line is some of us are taking a picture of this moment. See, this is the challenge, is we live in such a moment-by-moment -moment society where uh, it doesn't matter if you're uh, older and on Facebook or younger and on Instagram, we, we post the moment. And so what happens is, is we'll insta-story something that's going on in our life, and some of you don't even know what that means, and I'm just learning what it means because I have kids, but, but you'll... You'll post something and say, see, in this moment, it's not fair. In this moment, I don't, I don't like it. God doesn't seem to be present. I don't understand it. This moment in time isn't fair. But if you were to take a 10-year season of your life and you were to pursue and walk with Jesus over those 10 years, what you would find is that 
the thing, that thing in that moment that you wouldn't choose again, that you don't get, that you never wanted, in that moment, you don't understand it, but over a 10-year period, period of time, you could look back and say, God was with me during that. He was strong for me. What he did through this, I could have, I could have never done on my own. Would never choose it. Would never want to go through it again. But he was there for me when we walked through in faithfulness. Here's what a lot of people will say. A lot of people will say, uh, how can you believe in a God who doesn't seem to care? And then they'll follow it up with a question, and you've probably heard it, why do bad things happen to good people? And I have a better question for you this morning. The question is, why do good things happen to bad people? Right? I don't know about you, but I'm not really proud to say this, but I'm not good all the time. Like, well, you're the pastor. You kind of have to be good all. No, sorry. I'll give you an example. So this is quite a few years ago. So I'm, I'm. I think the statue of limitations of how you view me is over. But when uh, my son was younger, we used to do these things at the Dinsmore house called Halo Nights, and it was a time we'd go and play Xbox with everybody. And uh, it was supposed to be this bonding thing with our kids that they just ended up beating us at, and was we ended up all mad at each other and not bonding at all. But we used to go over there and play. And one particular night, they used to live in Promontory Point over here. And, and we live in gated communityville up here, right? So uh, I'm, I did what you all do when you don't have the gate to one of your friend's uh, gate or the code to one of your friend's gates. You wait for somebody to go through and then you just follow them in. And so for whatever reason, I couldn't get a hold of Sean. I didn't know what the gate code was. And we're waiting by the little keypad to get in and some guy pulls in, has the, has the clicker, opens up. And I'm like, okay, I'll just follow this guy in. And I got my son in there and everything. So we're just on our way to Halo night. And the guy stops right in the middle of the gate. So I just tap on the horn a little bit, you know, just to remind him that I was there. And, uh, and he doesn't move. And so uh, thinking in my head, I've got my son in the car, uh, we dedicated him unto the Lord. I'm going to be a Christ-like example uh, to him. I lay on the horn because clearly he cannot see me, and he doesn't move. And my son's a little bit sensitive to this, a lot younger than he was now, and, and he's like, Dad, like, stop. And, and so I'm like, fine, you win, buddy. I'll back up, wait for you to go through, wait for the gate to close. I'll get the code, Whatever. So I back up, and he still doesn't move. So I get out of my car, and I make my way to his car, thinking all the way to there, I really hope he doesn't go to Lifehouse, and I really hope he's not been invited to Halo Night. <laughs> so I go to the, to the car that's there, and we exchange some less than pastoral words uh, to one another, and I get back in my car thinking, I am a complete idiot. Like, what's wrong with me? See, we're not always good. And yet I would look at my life and think, God, why would you ever bless me? Because I look at my life and I, I think I'm, I'm pretty blessed. Right? I look at my life and, and wonder, why do good things happen to me? 
If anything good has ever happened to you, we have to sit back and say, why did something good happen for me when I'm a bad person? And you may say, well, Ryan, uh, your life may be great, but my life is not blessed. And I would just beg to differ a little bit this morning on Mother's Day, if I could. Because if you have the health to be here this morning, you could be thankful for that. If you've got people around you that, that love you, then you have that to be thankful for. If you drove somewhere in a car in the last week, you, I put you in the top 5% of richest people on planet Earth. If you've got a toilet that flushes, it's a good thing because there's many who don't. You get to worship God. There are a lot of things to thank God for when you recognize that God does a lot of really good things for bad people. You may say, well, is God fair? No. You're like, wait a minute. I came on Mother's Day. This is supposed to be nice. Proverbs 31 stuff. And my pastor's telling me that God is not fair. God's not fair, but he is just. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, he's not always fair. He gives us, if God was always fair, he would give us what our sins deserve. But because he's just, he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins. Scripture says this in Psalm 103, I hope you, and I hope you feel this this morning. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Every now and then, we have to thank God that he is not always fair. That he doesn't give us what our sins deserve. See, whenever we're tempted to, to, to look at whatever it is, the, the crazy stuff in the world, this personal thing that feels unfair, God, why would you allow this in my life? Here's something that would challenge all of us. Don't just think about it from your perspective, but think about it from your Heavenly Father's perspective. A father who loves you, a father who has a purpose in your pain and is with you. He's present with you while you're hurting. Tell you the last story, and then we'll we'll be done and shift gears. Claire, my uh, my middle child, uh, my first daughter, when we moved here to San Antonio, uh, she was about three and a half, and we were in a small house. We had invited the Godin family. If you guys remember the Godins, uh, if you've been around for very long, the Godin family were over. Their kids were small, and our kids. It was late as it always was. Our kids were jumping on the bed upstairs, and so I did as every good dad does. Screamed at my children from the top, from the bottom of the stairs up to the top, stop jumping on the bed. So then it stopped for a little while, and we started talking again. And all of a sudden, we hear it again, and bam! And this blood-curdling scream from upstairs. So this may have been another time in which I wasn't good, but. I ran up the stairs, was yelling at the kids, looked down at my daughter, who's three years old, and she's got blood all over her face. 
and I'm freaking out. I, like, a lot of blood, like dying blood. And, and so we scoop her up. My wife's freaking out. I'm yelling at everybody else, and, and we, throw, we didn't throw her in the car. We put her in the car. We placed her in the car, and we drive down to the emergency room. They usher us back into a room. She's screaming. She's blood all over her face. And the doctor looks at it and says she's going to need some stitches. What she did was she put her teeth through her lip, her bottom lip. And, and so she wasn't going to die, but we thought she was going to die because it was gross and there was blood everywhere. And we're like, Ooh. you know, it was like, uh, this is your kids. And, and so she's on the table, she's flailing around, and, and the doctor says, I'm going to have to put stitches in, but you're going to have to hold her down. So now I'm like climbing up on the table and I've got my knees like on her little three-year-old arms and I'm holding her legs down and I'm holding her face, her head, and she's flailing and she's looking at me in the eyes as I'm over her and she's like, why, daddy? No, no, why are you hurting me? And I'm like, tears coming down my eyes. Kelly's like in a fetal position in the corner. <laughs> she's crying. And she's looking up at me, screaming, why, Daddy, why would you do this? Why are you hurting me? The father who loved his child couldn't explain to her in that moment, at that age, why I had to hold her down why I had to put my weight on her while she screamed, no, no, no. When you hurt, God hurts with you. There are times when he wants to tell you, but you won't quite understand. I'm going to do something through this. There's a reason. You need stitches. There's a purpose for why I'm doing this. He knows what it's like more than anybody else because he loved us so much that he did something that wasn't fair. He sent his son to the cross to die a brutal death. And Jesus looks up in that moment and says, Daddy, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why? It's like Claire... Why have you forsaken me? Why are you doing this to me? Our God is not a heartless God. Our God doesn't even just love you. It's not, an, it's not what he does. He is love. It's who he is. Whenever we find ourselves saying, God, do you even care Remember the fact that he knows what you're going through. He knows there's a purpose for your pain and he is present with you and he knows what you need even when you don't know what you need yourself. Let's pray. Father, today I ask that, that you would 
Show your love, especially for those who might be here this morning and are hurting. That anyone that walked through our doors with pain, with abandonment, with hurt, questioning, God, do you even care about me? God, that you would be present right now in their life. You might be here this morning, and it may not, it may not be something big or seemingly big, but it's big to you. Could you just surrender that to the Lord today and say, God, in this moment, I don't understand it. In this moment, it's, it's difficult. In this moment, I, it's hard, but I trust you. In fact, why don't we all do that this morning? Can we all just kind of put our hands out and say, God, I surrender this moment, this season of my life to you today. And God, I put my trust completely in you. I don't get it. I don't want to go through it. But I understand that you are doing something in me. And God, you haven't left me. You haven't forsaken me. You haven't abandoned me. You are present in the midst of this thing that I'm going through today. Father, for anyone that's here this morning who today specifically is a difficult day, God, that you would bring comfort, that there would be, as, as was said earlier, that there would be joy beyond this. God, that's my prayer for all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen.